A few weeks ago, I invited my neighbor over for coffee, and as she sat down at my kitchen table, she complimented me. Oh, that's so nice of you, Nicole. You're always so friendly and thoughtful, and you always prepare these little tasty snacks. It's always such a pleasure to come over to your place. Now, my seven-year-old was in the kitchen with us. He heard her, and just as kids are, he replied very nonchalant, Oh, so why are we never meeting at your place? Next time we could come over to yours, yeah? My neighbor first looked a bit bewildered. What a concept. And then laughed and commented, Ha oh, he's such a clever little boy, your kid. I mean, kids have their very own perception of the world, don't they? It's fascinating. And yes, in that moment, I knew, hmm, she's one of those. She's one of those people that is super nice, but she's also one of those people that doesn't get it. And I knew we will never be friends. We will be friendly neighbors, but nothing more. And this is why. Welcome to the Home of Having podcast, my friend. This is the place to learn how to create a home away from home. I am Nick. I am an interior designer, but also a CRL expat. And this season, I'm on the quest to find out what belonging means. Why? Well, because psychologists claim belonging is what defines the value of our life. And it helps us cope with life when life gets rough. And you don't need to be an expat to know life doesn't get any rougher than when we feel lonely. So I'm inviting you to hear and learn from inspiring people as they share their story and their knowledge on belonging. And then you can make a decision on what a home worth having really means to you. Welcome to this week's episode. Tell me, have you ever actively thought back on the time on how your friends became your friends? I did that recently and it was very, very amusing. Because here's the thing, we always say growing up as teenagers, our friends are the family that we choose. And those are the people we are being seen with the most. So they belong to us just as we belong to them and they are a part of our life. And that's a funny thing about friends and feeling belonging to them. Belonging, for me, is a verb. It is something that we do. It requires activity. But while we grow up, we just happen to belong. It's a passive thing. We happen to be born into this family, into this country, into this region. We happen to go to school with these certain people. And some of them become friends and some don't. When you think about it, belonging really is a verb. We do belong. But when we feel about this word, it doesn't feel like a verb because it's just a state. Either you do or you don't. And if we adopt this thinking, then we feel also a little bit helpless when we get into an environment where we clearly don't belong because it's taking away the action part. So when we think about a thing, a belonging, 
then it is something, let's say it's a thing that we buy. And through that act of buying, we declare this is now mine. I've paid for this. It was pretty, it was attractive, it was important. Whatever the reason, it was enough for me to make that investment. For this belonging, I separated with my money. And then when we think about belonging in a romantic relationship, it's a declaration. We are now girlfriend and boyfriend. We are husband and wife. We are partners. We are wife and wife, husband and husband, whatever it is. Through declaring that you are now together, you automatically make yourself unavailable to others, right? And making this declaration is like an unspoken deal, a contract that I will honor. Well, for most people, it's exclusivity, right? But even if it's not that, it's a certain, certain expectations come into play. So you say the words and then you follow through with your behavior and your actions accordingly to that contract. But when we think about our friends, it's a special situation. Your friends are yours, but at the same time, they are also other people's friends. They are inside your circle, but you are not overly attached to another. Now, with the friendship contract come still things like loyalty and honoring, secrecy and defending one another, just as in a romantic relationship. And then what I like about friends is that we say we have to make friends. We just don't move to a new place or go to a new school and have a lot of friendships just happen to happen to us. And nobody knows that better than expats. Because for expats, well, the component of being foreign to the culture and foreign to the language makes it harder to start this dance, this... There's a certain protocol around on how you become friends. Right. And for experts, that protocol is really hard to navigate because we don't speak the language. We don't know the local customs. There are so many novelty to it. We have another upbringing. And sometimes it's hard to overcome that either from our side or from the other people's side. But let me get back to the status friends hold in our life. Friends are people you let into your home. But not into your bedroom. You let them into your head and in your heart because you trust them to build you up. You know that they are a good friend if they hear your negativity or your faulty sides, but don't tear you down once you've let them in. And at the same time, it's a bit of a suspicious friend if all they do is nod their head at everything that you have to say. And then you know... "Mm, That's a real friendship either, right? Friends support you, but don't kiss ass all the time. So have you ever thought about why your friends are your friends? They must strike some chords with you that made you declare, yeah, you are in my circle. So into some friendships we grow slowly into. I've had that happen to me many times. You can't even decide when that happened. When did I make that declaration that that person is my friend? And that's okay. But then uh, those friends you fall for head over heels. 
it is a bit like falling in love, falling in love with that person as a person in a non-romantic way. It's friendship at first sight. And I believe those are the most interesting ones because those people have some kind of quality that is so undeniable, so clearly visible that you had to be their friend. So have you ever thought about what your friends stand for? Now, I have one memory of falling head over heels for my friends when I was back in Edinburgh. I had just finished my design degree at the university in Germany. It was 2008, the recession struck, and there was absolutely no job to be found in a luxury industry like design. So I decided to become an au pair. I moved to Edinburgh and I was with a kid day in and day out. And I lived in that home and I worked in that home. So I needed to find, I needed to get out of there. And I joined couch surfing. And I don't know if you remember couch surfing, but back in the day, it's like Airbnb, just you didn't have to pay. So people had profiles online and they invited people and you could apply and say, look, I'm in your area and I would really like to meet. And the whole purpose was to broaden your horizon, to be a nice person, invite somebody over. Yeah, have that opportunity of having friendship at first sight or at least some interesting conversations. So the Edinburgh community was amazing. There was a lot of activities happening even outside of hosting people. So one afternoon in December, I'm at Florian's house who happened to have a cookie party. It was an after work kind of get together for people, expats and locals and hosts and guests and just have cookies and a glass of tea or a hot toddy or <laughs> something stronger, whatever you wanted, and just mix and mingle. So I'm at this party and it's quite full and I'm engaged in a conversation with two other people that is really, really boring. And my mind starts wandering off and then my ear catches a conversation that is happening behind me. I hear three people talking, two guys and a girl, and one of the guys has a very strong Australian accent. And I love Australian accent. I have so many good memories from my time in Australia. So I can't help but listening into the conversation. And they were talking about buying a car and going off-roading. And I thought, yeah, that is so interesting. So those are not just people blah, 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 chatting, but also having a plan on how they're going to do what they're going to do. And they were talking about exploring the country and while they're here, see as much culture and as much country as possible. And I like that. And as the conversation went on, the Australian guy says something to which his girlfriend disagreed. She had a different opinion. And I never forget the way he reacted because I could hear by the tone of his voice that he was rolling his eyes and he said something along the lines, oh, woman, don't you think you're over-exaggerating here a little bit? He was slightly annoyed and then there was silence. She just grasped for air and replied really calmly, you know what, Matt, if you would have taken the time you would see that from my point of view, it looks like this. And then you would understand. She explained herself 
And then there was this awkward moment of silence because she had made an undeniable point and that third person in the conversation didn't dare to speak up. It was this awkward moment of, oh, is this going to end up in a fight? Even I, I was under change, like, okay, how is this going to play out? He took a deep breath and said, well, now that you put it like this, I just made a real fool out of myself, didn't I? And from her side, you could just hear us like, mm-hmm. And in that moment, I knew those two were going to be my friends. I just knew it. I had gathered enough information about the two of them that I knew that we would get along. They were Australians. They had plans. They were doing things. They were being really honest with each other. And they weren't afraid as a couple to call each other out. And then when one of them got called out, they were humble enough to admit it. Or let's say strong enough to admit it. Shit, I just, I've just behaved like an idiot. But in that moment, they split up. They said goodbye to that person they were talking to. And I was still stuck in my conversation. I didn't feel like I could just turn around and say, wait, hey, I want to be friends with you. You are amazing. That's not what you do. I found a reason to excuse myself from the conversation that I was in. And I was trying to find them. I was trying to find Matt and woman, because that's how he referred to his girlfriend, right? So I didn't catch her name. I was looking for two Australians, Matt and woman. And I did find them, and I found a reason to talk to them. I made that friendship happen. In that moment, listening to them, I knew I had to meet them. I knew that we were going to be good friends. And yeah, the rest is history. It, it all came to be. I just love them. And even now that we've been years apart and they're back in Australia and I'm still in Europe, we don't get to have that close friendship that we had in Edinburgh. But I know that when I ever get to see them again, it's going to be this big hello and we're going to hang out. So do you have a story like that? Do you know why you like the friends that you have? Because if you're an expat and you're missing your friends, it doesn't matter if you wanted to become an expat and decided where you right now there's not enough friends or it's not enough of a variety you wanted to you want to experience something new. Or if you are, for example, the training spouse who's just coming along for the ride and is now really, really missing what they used to have. And becoming an expat wasn't their life's desire in the first place. So how do you actually make friends? I have two other stories, two other amazing women that have become really fantastic friends of mine. It happened in a similar way, but it was them making the declaration. And in one case, it happened very subtle. So I was at yet another party in Edinburgh. I've been to a lot of parties in Edinburgh. And at some point, a girl approached me, needed some help with something. And that's how we met. And we kept meeting on social events. And I honestly, I can't remember how it happened. For me, it was one of those friendships that just creeped in. But then at one point, very early on in our friendship, somebody asked, so how did you meet? 
And I got to hear the story of our friendship from her point of view. And she told the story like this. Oh, I was new to the country. I heard about this event. I showed up. There were so many people and everybody was busy, busy being somebody, busy talking about something, busy having an opinion. And I looked around and I found Nicole who was just sitting on the couch observing everybody and in my eyes was not trying so hard to be just anybody. And I knew that's the kind of person I want to hang out with, the one that is not trying so hard because I was trying so hard to fit in, in this new country, new city, new people. So I saw her and I knew if I want to be friends with her and she seems to care so little about the hustle and bustle of this party, I needed to make her care about me. When I heard that, I was like, really? That was such a conscious decision? It's like, yeah. And then I remembered back to the story. And I remember the, the way she came to me was by saying, um, damn, I spilled wine over my sweater. Um, can you help me? Can you show me the bathroom? I mean, I, I think I have to wash it out. And I said, yeah, sure. Let me show you the bathroom and let me get some salt. I think we are supposed to put salt on it. And that's, that's how simple our conversation started. And you know what? That's actually a thing. It's called the Ben Franklin effect. Maybe you've heard of it. If you haven't, Ben Franklin was a very smart man. And when he needed to win elections, instead of fighting his opponents, he made a very clear, very conscious decision of befriending them. So Benjamin Franklin said, he that has once done you a kindness will be more ready to do you another than he whom you yourself have obliged. Now the story goes a little bit longer. You can Google it. I will not go into much detail here, but you could sum up this strategy in three simple steps. First, learn about the person you want to befriend. Observe them. Pay attention. Pay attention to the subtle clues that they drop in conversations or how they behave or are they awkward? Are they comfortable? And once you know that, you use their strength to ask for a favor. When I'm at a party and I, I notice I feel attracted to people that talk about food, if they drop hints about where they've been for dinner, the last food that they had, or how they cook, ooh, when they cook, yes, about cooking. When people talk about cooking, I always listen up. And I listen up to, are they talking about making macaroni and cheese, or just chopping a salad, or when they drop nuances of something special in their food. And then I could go in once I know that. And I know that I like foodie people because I have this impression of people that like food and can get really geeky about the process of making good food. They have a certain savoir vivre. They know how to be in the moment and to enjoy themselves. So I could then go and ask them about something to help me with or um, give me that little secret of what makes their sauce special. I don't know. I'm asking something that is meaningful to them and then put them at the same time in a very comfortable position that makes them shine with their knowledge. 
but you got to be careful because you can overdo it. If you ask somebody a favor for what they usually would get money for, then you just come off as somebody who wants to leech off. So if you go to a graphic designer and ask them something about graphic design or, oh, so you're a graphic designer. Well, I'm in the process of redesigning my, my business cards. Can I just, can I just have an advice? Then it most likely will roll their eyes because, hey, that's what they usually get paid for, right? So be mindful of that. So Benjamin Franklin said, he that has once done you a kindness will be more ready to do you another than he whom you yourself have obliged. Okay, what it comes down to means this. Learn about the person that you want to befriend. Ask them for a very targeted favor and then be grateful for it. So you learn about what is their hobby, what is their skills, what do they pride themselves in, what passions do they pursue. And then you ask a very targeted question about that. That makes them, that it will A, signalize that that is something that you're interested in, so you've got something in common, but then at the same time puts them in a very favorable light as somebody who's more advanced than you and, you know, just shows them at their best side so they can share something and look good. And we all like to look good, right? And then in the end, you express the gratitude. You start with a sincere thank you and you include in that thank you of how exactly their information, their help benefited you. That is a moment where they can feel proud about themselves. It shows them in their best light. And you made that happen. And then you say, again, thank you. And then try to resist to say something like, oh, I'll make it up to you. Because that's not what friendship is like. Friendships are not quid pro quo. They are not transactional. They are not, you give me and I give you. If you, then I will. That's not friendship. You just say thank you. And the next time you see them or approach them, they will remember that good feeling you gave them about themselves. And that was what my friend did. She came to me and she made me care about her. I got invested. It didn't cost me anything to show her the bathroom. And we got into a conversation. And then the next time she approached me, I remember that. She's the girl that I had the opportunity to help. And then last but not least... There are those people we like because they are just so much like us, right? And it's so obvious. So my other good friend, Amber, I met her because she was my visitor in Edinburgh. I was her couch surfing host. And if you've never heard about couch surfing, the way it worked is you had a profile online talking about you and what you like and what kind of people you you're willing to host. And if some people saw your profile, then they could reply to it. <laughs> those, those profiles used to be very extensive. And Amber was the only person I think ever that replied to every single point I had listed out in my profile. So I got this huge email. And it was a super surprise because most people just see a picture, scan over your profile. They just want a free place to sleep. 
pick up on something, sent you a very generic email. And Amber didn't do that. She went into every point of my profile. And I think she already said in that very first email, we've got so much in common. I know that we're going to be friends. And when I read that, I was like, right. What a ballsy thing to say. And then she came and then she stayed and she was supposed to stay just for two nights. And those two nights became four nights. And then she was supposed to leave on a trip to the Highlands, but she didn't do that trip. She just visited another city and then came back for another few nights. And we hit instant friends. And I remember her sitting on my mattress in my room in Edinburgh in my shared flat in her pajamas, and she was just blah, 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 all the time. She was my stereotype of what I call roller coaster California sunshine baby. She was very American. She was very chatty, very easily excited. And she had so much to talk about from her trip around Europe. And while she was sitting there and chatting and chatting and sharing and being easily excited, I realized she was right. Usually this is me. Usually I'm the one getting easily excited and I'm the one eager to make friends. And it was such a nice surprise to have somebody else be like me. And we bonded and she came back and we stayed friends over the years, our kids know each other. She's moved so many times. I, I visited her with her family. She visited me with her family. She's the friend, even though that we have a huge physical distance now between us. I can hit up with the most awkward question and know that if I'm out of line, she will say it. She will call me out. And she's a friend I never have to be afraid of being the raw me. I'm sure that you have friends like that. And what I'm encouraging you to do is to look back at those friendships and make a clear list of why you became friends with those people. Matt and Belle, I like them because they were active and they knew how to do things that I didn't know how to do. And I knew that their values of being in a relationship and being able to call each other out and being opinionated, but in a happy way, not in an angry way, and being able to be called out on their opinions and being able to change their opinions made them really, really attractive to me. Mariana. Mariana was the one that she made me her friend and I learned to love her, but she made a very conscious decision. And when she told me about how conscious her decision of becoming friends with me was, I was impressed. I knew in that instant, I loved her even more for being so aware, so awake, seeing seeing the world in the moment and coming to conclusions in the moment while I was somebody who usually talks before she thinks and sees things retrospectively. Once my day is done, things come into play. And I'm so busy being in the moment that I have a hard time stepping out of myself and see the scene from above. And she could do that. And I was 
so attracted to her as a friend because she is so different to me. And then last but not least, Amber, who is so much alike and yeah, like and like attract each other. And it was just an easy decision to make. She had the ballsy guts to say things out loud before we even met. And I was just willing to say, okay, bring it on. Let's see if you're right. So think about it. What is it that you appreciate about your friends? Is it that you're the same or is it that you're so different? And then once you know what you liked about them, think about how that friendship developed and what you can say about their values. How does what they honor show in their behavior? And if you're an expert and you are actively looking for friends and you're realizing that right now where you are, you are not having good friendships, well, maybe friend, it's because you didn't make that declaration to yourself that you will stay here and you will build a circle and that you will actively get engaged and that you are willing to make a declaration of being somebody's friend, even if you've not even met them yet. So maybe when you look through your friends list of the people that you already appreciate, what are the values that you value too? How does it show in behavior? How could a person prove to you that they have a certain value? Because nobody walks around just talking about their values. I value honesty. No, you're just seeing somebody maybe being very honest, being very blunt or being reflective and still calling out people. And you might say, yeah, that is something I really appreciate. So maybe it is worth getting to know you more closely. So you need to know what you are about so you can then start listening for what it is you are looking for. I totally love people that love food. And then if you're an expat and you're in a foreign language, don't get discouraged that you are not able to have a full-fledged conversation about something that is important to you. Just take it as an opportunity to learn certain vocabularies. If you like food like I do, learn how do you say, I don't know, glazed salmon. I don't know. <laughs> learn something about the process. You probably know the process of cooking. It's just a question of learning to talk about it in a different language, knowing the vocabulary that goes around it so that when you hear somebody talk about it, you can have at least a basic conversation. And then don't get frustrated that you can't establish yourself as the foodie expert. Just use it as an opportunity to ask those people more about them so they can establish themselves and you show interest. You don't have to show how good you are. People appreciate more if you make them look and feel good about themselves. And then once you've done all that, find ways to bond over it. Pay it forward. Be the one who is not afraid to make the declaration or to show the interest and be generous. I mean, what's the worst thing that can happen? So remember that story I told you at the beginning about that neighbor that I've invited several times? And <laughs> the concept of inviting me over for a change was so, well, almost ridiculous to her. I just realized 
she's a very nice lady. There is, we have so much to talk about, but there, there is no willingness for her to let me into her life. And that is what I've noticed with, with people that have never been a foreigner, that have never left their comfort zone. They know their friends so intimately because they spend so much time with them. And they've never been through that experience of what it means to be the new person and desperately seeking human connection. Because when you are a foreigner, I think every expat can agree. If you get invited to somebody's home, you're literally opening the door, letting them in. You're exposing yourself. So this is a pattern that I have recently noticed with my husband. It has never been so hard for me to make actual good friends as it has been here in Switzerland. Switzerland has this huge expat community. And yet, very early on, I knew that I didn't want to have too many expat friends because all the expats here ever talked about was, hi, how are you? Where are you from? When do you think you're going to leave? And I wasn't willing to be talking about leaving when I had just arrived, when I didn't give that country and those people a chance to charm me, a chance to be a part of. I didn't want to talk about leaving when all I wanted is to finally arrive in a place. And that's normal. We bond, we bond with people that have things in common, but if you just have divorced friends and you then suddenly hit a rough spot in your own marriage, what do you think their advice will be? They will naturally give the advice that was best for them and that was leaving their marriage, but maybe you're not there yet. And it's just a very one-sided view. And it goes the same with expats. We bond because we're having all a very similar life experience we can bond about the feeling of being foreign, but at the same time, we need to have local friends in order to know what it's like to be rooted. And we learn that from the people that are already rooted. So yeah, we didn't seek much contact to the expat community because there was a certain negativity around people meaning well, wanting me to prepare of, oh, life in Switzerland is like this or like that. But at the same time, I felt like they were pushing their own experience onto me and I wanted to give myself the chance to have my own experience. But then it's true. The really Swiss Swiss people, it's really hard to crack their shell and be invited so me and my husband, we noticed the pattern that the friends that we do have now are always mixed couples. Those are couples where one is Swiss and the other one is a foreigner. And the foreigner carries this rooted part through their partners because they belong and they get access to that. And the local Swiss partner knows what it's like to be a foreigner because they have visited their spouse's home country and they know about the challenges. The person they love has those same challenges of wanting to be their own person and fit in at the same time. Having now interviewed a few brilliant ladies on their field of expertise, I am loving the insight I'm getting. 
And I'm learning so much on how to name all those aspects of belonging that I knew and felt existed, but I had no clue on how to articulate or even name them. Now, 2020, being what it is, unpredictable and super destabilizing, well, summer's just starting. And knowing that staying put at home or at least being confined to stay very local is the most likely option for us this summer. Well, what are we going to do with this summer? I know that in the expat community, the frustrations are high because not only do we not get to travel as none of the others are, but many of us don't get to travel to what they still call home. So being confined and not getting to see your loved ones is hard for everyone. But doing this far away in a different culture can feel for many expats as as if their life's choice of living abroad added another level of being trapped. When all we wanted is to feel free in the first place, right? And it is hard not to focus on what we don't get to do. Our limitations are staring at us so bluntly right now that refusing to see them is like walking through life with closed eyes. But we all know that wallowing in negativity is only keeping us longer in negativity. Or as I like to say to my kids, the more you pout, the more you pout. So I thought it's about time to concentrate more on what we actually can do. Instead of staying in lack and missing what we can't have right now, thus remaining in passiveness, let's start this week with thinking about our friends, the family we get to choose. So I'm wondering, if you're an expat, what is your observation on this topic? How do you make friends? How do you, how did you actively find new friends in your home country? I'd love to hear back from you. I'd love to have a conversation. So why don't you find me on Facebook under, you know, facebook.com slash a home worth having, and we'll talk about it. Or if you found this podcast on my website, just comment below. I'd be super excited to actually get into contact and hear other people's opinion and other people's experience of what your best practices are in order to find this new sense of belonging through building a new family of friends. I'll talk to you soon, next week. <laughs> Au revoir, c'est Nicole.